Welcome back to Well, That's Interesting, the If You're Gonna Eat It, At Least Know Where It Came From edition. Oh, oh no. <laughs> it's okay. I, it's okay. <laughs> I, is it? I, I am just the worst at this. I honestly yeah. have no idea where any of my food comes from. I mean... You're not alone. Don't worry. I, I, can, I can trace it back to either the grocery store <laughs> or the guy... Who brought it yeah. from fresh direct in a nice little bag? I really, I, that's the fanciest thing I've ever said, but I really have no idea where yeah. any, anything comes from. Okay. Well, we're, we're going to solve one mystery today. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you seem worried. I'm so worried. I, I, I kind of love living in ignorance sure. with food. I'm, I just assume it's all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of is sometimes. No, it's it's no, not. it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Today, episode zero sixty six. Your Thanksgiving turkey was tamed in Mexico fifteen hundred years ago. What? What? <laughs> Is my turkey fifteen hundred years old? <laughs> it goes back really far, and it it has a hell of a history. Oh my god! Yeah, I think you need to tell me everything <laughs> over the. The course of like a thirty-minute to forty-minute. I can do that uh, podcast episode. I think <laughs> can you. Do that. I think you need to do that right now. <laughs> uh, I'm Jill Chacha, and I am with the just terribly curious about turkeys, Marissa Riley. That's me. I'm pumped. I have to know everything. Uh, and if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock. Welcome. Uh, Dr. Riley here comes in cold and learns everything in real time, just like you. It's true, except for this week. Uh, uh, I, I got a little drunk. Okay. <laughs> Jill got a little drunk last night and casually, just while I was like putting on my night moisturizers and stuff, casually just said, I can't wait to talk about turkeys tomorrow on the episode. And I just like did a slow turn with a wide eye and I was like, Jill, you're not supposed to tell me. And then she kind of kept going on. And I was like, stop <laughs> it. Stop it. Yeah. Um, so I didn't tell you everything. She didn't tell me everything. There's a lot of lot of gold, a lot of nuggets. There's a lot of... Uh, In this. Yes. Yeah, so. Okay. I was about to say, yes, there's a lot of gold. But you only told me a little gold. <laughs> oh, so Jesus, I I'm pumped. Barely remember. <laughs> you're okay. totally fine. Uh, well, I guess we should begin. We should. <laughs> All right. So... Unfortunately, tomorrow is Thanksgiving Day here in uh, the United States. Um, (laughs) It's a national holiday that for a lengthy period of time, I used to think uh, was a day where Americans do what Americans usually do when it comes to holidays, which is collectively ignore the actual historical events that took place in exchange for a few hours of vacation from a job causing back pain. That is the most American uh, sentence I've (laughs) ever heard. That is... Well done. Well done. Ah, she nailed Thank it. You. Thank you. Uh, but in my elder millennial years, I realized the holiday is spent ex- exactly as it should. Or at least millions of Americans end up this way, uh, eating with people you don't like. Wow. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, you nailed it now. <laughs> oh, my God. Because that that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Now, this episode is not an, ex- an extensive recap of our fabled Thanksgiving Day, but I am going to provide a little context and summary because it's always good to hear. Yes. Okay, so let's yes. do that. Okay, so English colonists uh, known as pilgrims landed on what's now called Plymouth on November 16th. 1620. Yep. Uh, They saw a new paradise that looked uninhabited by humans, but that wasn't the case. Nope. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, Definitely not. Yeah. Throughout what's now southeastern Massachusetts, parts of modern Rhode Island, uh, Nantucket Island, and Martha's Vineyard, uh, lived the Wampanoag, who were around for at least 12,000 years. Oh my god. I yeah. just I just imagine, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to imagine uh, the Wampanoag. Uh-huh. Am I correct? Okay, so imagine, like, they had, like, a house, like, a nice house. Yeah, they did. And then imagine, like... Um, a bunch of douchebags just came into the front door mm-hmm. and started living on their couches and drinking, yep. you know, their beverages. Mm-hmm. Taking and then, all the um, food from Fresh Direct. Got yeah, it. Got and it. then exactly. murdering them. And just like, <laughs> that's what I, I mean, that's like a modern version, but yeah. that's basically kind of um, a light way to explain it. For, I'm yeah. not a historian. I'm a doctor, remember. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, their name translates to people of the first light. So they, That's fucking gorgeous. It's gorgeous, and it. they were literally there since the crack of fucking dawn. So I thought this little fact was pretty amazing. And um, this other fact is actually really amazing as well. Uh, it, it just it describes their many abilities. It's from the azcentral.com article. After 400 years, Native people reflect on the first Thanksgiving. So Dr. Marissa, if you do the honors and please read for us. Absolutely. All right. Quote, the Wampanoag's highly developed social structure and healthy diets had long served them well. Mashpee Wampanoag Councilman Brian Whedon said it was not uncommon for Wampanoags to live to age 90 or 100, amazing the colonist who had left a country where uh, the average life expectancy was 40 with (laughs) a few living past age 59. And, quote, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I am even more, (laughs) like, embarrassed. Uh, Like, just, wow. We uh, suck. Now, Europeans have been dicking around North, South, and Latin America since the 1400s, so the Wampanoag indigenous were well aware of what diseases they brought over and kept a distance. Yep. Uh, Devastation is an understatement to describe what those viruses did and can do, and since racism is gonna racism, Mm -hmm. the pilgrims were like, their deaths are clearly a sign from God that we are the chosen people for this land. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Fast forward a year later to 1621, when literally half the pilgrim population had died from starvation, and their leaders asked for help. Oh, God. Semoset, a local tribal leader, brought a Wampanoag man named uh, Tisquantum, also known as Squanto, to the pilgrim's development to help with communication. Yeah. Uh, Turns out Squanto spoke English really well. Um, And Dr. Marissa, would you please tell us how he happened to learn this language uh, and what he taught the English folk. Absolutely. Um, just heads up, I have heard like the fabled kids version of this where Squanto yeah. like helped them. Yeah. And so I'm excited to see what actually happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he, he, he did help. I mean, there was help. There yeah, was help. There was help. According to my, I think it was like fourth grade yeah. um, Thanksgiving Day program <laughs> that we put on. Um, mm, on the TV? The No, no, no. That we performed oh, no. for our parents. <laughs> Where uh, little kids, little white kids would dress up as indigenous uh, people. I uh-huh. died. Okay. It was a long time ago. 
<laughs> just thinking back, there are like photos of us. Like, uh, it's really uh, awful. But yeah. it was like kind of like an untrue version of what happened. So I'm just reflecting on that quickly. Yeah. And just, anyways, let me read this quote of what actually <laughs> happened. All right, from azcentral.com article. Quote, Squanto was in England when the smallpox plague uh, swept through the Northeast in 1616. He had been kidnapped by another English explorer with other Wampanoag men and taken to Great Britain to be sold into slavery. He managed to get back only to find his village was gone, wiped out by disease. Uh, shit. He resided for a time in the community led by Maso Soet, who sent the young Wampanoag man to serve as an ambassador and translator to the pilgrims. Squanto attempted to teach the colonists the best way to grow three sisters, uh, the three sisters, corn, beans, and squash by planting a fish head as fertilizer then planting the corn with bean and squash seeds in a mound around the corn. The corn provided a climbing pole for the beans while the squash meanders uh, along the ground, keeping the weeds at bay, end quote. Okay, so in my program, mm. yeah. um, we did bury a fish okay, cool. in the program. That All was right. really cool, but they did leave out the fact um that Squanto learned his English by becoming a slave. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. oh, they missed their, they, they, they part. really yeah. left that part <laughs> out. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he helped the people that enslaved him. I'm just like. So, yeah. I just can't believe this. <laughs> so, this is just. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, Mashpee Wampanoag Councilman Brian Whedon, who we brought up before. Yeah. Noted the first gathering, or Thanksgiving, wasn't intentional. In fact, it could have been an accidental bloodbath. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Quote, when the English got their first harvest, they were shooting off their muskets, celebrating their first harvest and that they made it through the winter, Wheaton said. Massasoit, hearing the gunshots, rushed to Plymouth with 90 warriors ready to do battle with the invaders. Once they got there and found out what was going on, that's when they partook in the celebration. Oh, okay. He continued. Uh, Massasoit sent out his men for deer uh, and other food items to sustain the three-day celebration. Got it. Quote. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. So, so like, pieces of... I'm sorry I keep reflecting back on... Um, your this trauma. Thanks, yeah. My trauma, my fourth grade Thanksgiving Day program uh, that I performed for my parents. <laughs> your eyes and are so wide and just, like, so just... Oh, this no. was my point of reference for what Thanksgiving was for so long. And uh, yes, in our program, we yeah. did bring in a, a you know, um, construction paper, yeah. uh, butcher paper, yeah. uh, deer. Okay. I remember that part. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, again, once again, we did leave out the part where the um, uh, pilgrims were shooting their guns for no reason. <laughs> um, that's very American. In a tense situation. Yes. 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 Um, stressing uh, out uh all of these wampanoags mm-hmm. yep making them come check and bring all of their mm-hmm. you know best war. fighters yes. 
probably at a terrible time of day mm-hmm. um, when they were busy <laughs> living into their hundreds. They're yeah. living their best lives. Yeah, war is always inconvenient. So. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. So brewing tensions. <clears throat> oh my gosh, excuse me. Brewing tensions were calmed the only way tensions can be calmed, which is with barbecue and sides. Okay. So that was a super, super condensed version, uh, which... May, might be new mind-blowing information for some of you beautiful listeners out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our goal here is to continue that mind-blowiness with some <laughs> random awesome facts and newly discovered history about a bird we think about only once a year. Turkey. Oh, yeah. That's right. Tell me everything. <clears throat> First, and this really shocked me because I'm so skeptical about holidays, turkey, or wild turkey, was actually eaten at that get-together. Oh. I know. Well, there you go. (laughs) According to SmithsonianMag.com, there's two surviving written accounts of the probably awkward shindig. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Uh, Edward Winslow, an Englishman, wrote a letter to a friend noting what was for dinner, and William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth, uh, noted, quote, and besides waterfowl, there was great store of wild turkeys, end quote. I mean, it's not a party unless you have waterfowl and a great store of wild turkeys. Right. I, I mean, that's what I, what do I say every Friday night? That's what, the, those things. Those yes. things. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's what she says. So these wild turkeys, my friends, they can, get this, fly up to 55 miles per hour in short bursts. Uh, that's fast. That is very fast. That's good. car fast. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Marissa, please tell us some other stuff uh, about these birds. We occasionally like to stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. From worldanimalprotection.us, quote, wild turkeys sleep in trees. That's so cute. Uh, Turkeys spend most of their time on the ground, but when it's time to sleep, they fly up into trees. This is because turkeys can't see well at night and protect themselves from predators. And to protect themselves from predators, they roost at dusk and fly at dawn. Also... (laughs) They can change colors. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell a turkey's emotions by the color of their heads. Holy shit. Colors can change from red to blue to white, depending on how excited or calm they are. The more intense the colors, the more intense their emotions. End quote. They're mood rings. Yes, exactly. Their heads are mood rings. Amazing. I know. I am obsessed with that. <laughs> Why are we eating these things? We should be worshiping them. That's amazing. Uh, not only is their head revealing, but their poop also identifies if they are male or female. What? <clears throat> I know. Uh, a male's poop is shaped like the letter J, while a female's is spiral shaped. That's the most random thing I've ever I heard. Know. I don't even know what to do with that information, but... You keep that in your but back I pocket. But I like it. I, <laughs> there's going to be a moment in my life yes. where I'm going to need that information. Yes. When, guarantee it. Yes. Like when, um, when I'm stuck in the wilderness someday because of a plane crash, I'm going to be mm-hmm. like, oh, you or guys. Or a pandemic. Uh-huh. Yeah. A male turkey has been here. That's right. That's, that's right. And that's all I'm going to be <laughs> able to right. say. That's yeah. Right. So, and finally, uh, if you ever wanted to know what that dangly, fleshy thing that cascades over their beak is called, uh, brace yourself. It's called a snood. Funny enough, I did actually know know that. that. Isn't that crazy? What? Isn't that crazy? And you never told me that? So, (laughs) 
Do you know what a I'm fashion shocked. snood is? No. A fashion snood is like a scarf that just fits perfectly around your neck. Yeah. Like a little, um, like a little neck glove. Yeah. And it's not long. It doesn't have an opening. You just kind of slip it over. Gotcha. Um, and and I know that because it's the same as a. It goes kind of where a turkey thing is. Oh so. well, well there you go. Yeah. Well, it also gets better because that snood. Uh, it's for mating. <laughs> Why? I didn't know this part. <laughs> what? Yeah, turkeys send snoods, essentially. So. Oh, I, I think we have to end the podcast. <laughs> According to the Journal of Avian Biology, females prefer males with longer snoods. Lol. And snood length can also be used to predict the winner of a competition between two males. So. God I mean, I could make like 50,000 jokes right now. It's too many. But I'll leave it to our listeners. <laughs> if you want to make a snood joke, um, tweet, us. tweet us. Tweet us. Yeah. Slide us. into our DMs with those snoods. Show um, us your snoods. If you have a turkey, send, send snoods. <laughs> oh my God, if you do, we can screenshot them and share them. I'm I, totally going to share it. I, we will share your snoods. Yeah. All right, okay. <laughs> I think we've... We've gone there. So, not if, but when your crazy anti-vax uncle starts talking, may I recommend a rebuttal with snoods and turkey fucking to make make them uncomfortable. Amazing. But honestly, anything you've learned on this show can do that. So Pretty much. After the break, we're heading to Mexico. At last. Finally, goddammit. Stay tuned. Please do. And we're back. We are so back. We're so back, and we're in one of the most delicious places on earth. Oaxaca, Mexico. Ooh la la. <laughs> That's right. Take me there. Now, Mexico in general is known for its food, but the region of Oaxaca is something extra special. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> she just moaned. I've just heard this name in reference to like different kinds of food or like mezcal or like tequila. Mm-hmm. It's like all, basically all my favorite things. Yeah. So I'm, yep. I'm excited. I got goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> this tiny place just around 33 square miles, that's it, uh, is pretty much the mole capital of the world. That's what I was going to say. I wasn't sure. I was like, I had heard of mole coming from here, but I was like, am I going to get the city run? I was right. (laughs) Great job. Nailed it in my head. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry. Wow, my notes. Um, Okay. So yeah, mole, of course, being a thick, complex sauce that's just a goddamn miracle. So good. You can really put it on anything, and it makes that anything a thousand times more incredible. It's true. So, who knows? Maybe once upon a time, it was even used on what we're about to talk about. Oh! That's right. Let's begin. My friends, please imagine a map of Mexico. Okay. Point to the most southern area, where it kind of curves to the right a little bit. Yes. Okay. Uh, now, back up just a smidge, and now you're in the region of Oaxaca. Voila. In the middle of Oaxaca is a teeny town called Mitla, and to the right of that, several kilometers away, is the archaeological gold mine that is called uh, the Mitla Fortress, and it goes way back, way, way, way back. Oh my god, tell me everything about this fortress. (laughs) I love that word. Now, according to expeditions.fieldmuseum.org, the, quote, the Mitla Fortress itself is perched on a steep, rocky hill that rises starkly from the floor of the eastern branch of the Valley of Oaxaca. Pottery shards found on the surface of most of its more than 400 recorded terraces tell, the site's, tell of the site's long, longevity and date 
I'm sorry. We got this. Longevity, I'm like looking at your notes, is like the most mind-boggling word. My I don't know why. brain just imploded and we all heard it. So that's great. <laughs> so. It imploded like these pottery shards. Does that even make sense? Sure. <laughs> so Tell us about it. All right. I'm going to start that quote all over again. Okay. The middle of Fortress itself is perched on a steep, rocky hill that rises starkly from the floor of the eastern branch of the Valley of Oaxaca. Pottery shards found on the surface of most of its more than 400 recorded terraces tell of the site's longevity and date from the height of the Zapotec through the arrival of the Spanish at the end of the post-classic period, a range between 200 and 1520 A.D. Jesus. Nailed it. End quote. Nailed it. So this area's got a lot of history. It's, yeah. This area's got some old stuff. That's right. In some, the indigenous Zapotec peoples thrived in the area for like 2,500 years, building and inventing beautiful fucking things. Uh, Dr. Marissa, in a moment, I'm about to show you one of the fortress's architecture. Uh, some of the ar- architecture. Uh, but first, I want to quickly point out some other accomplishments of the Zapotec um, made way before, like, the Spanish arrived. So. I I mean, after hearing that the um, the Wampanoags were living to 100, I'm like, tell me everything. <laughs> tell me everything that we're getting yeah. wrong. I just, <laughs> I need to hear it. Uh, they, too, had a yearly calendar. And get this. Their writing system is thought to be one of the first writing systems of the Mesoamerica area, predating those of, like, the Maya and the Aztec. Well, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck. That's awesome. That is incredible. Uh, So let that settle in while we gaze upon the fortress from a distance. Now, Dr. Marissa, it's a little hard to see as it blends in with the hill, and I think that may be on purpose as, like, a defense. But please, what do you see here? And just help you out this part up here is the fortress oh shut up all right so just imagine uh kind of like a hill mountain um what i am my mind is blown and then imagine like um the kind of the top part of the hill is um okay so imagine you have a a hill okay (laughs) And then imagine that you built a fortress that just looks like an extension of the hill. Yeah. And it basically looks like the hill has like an extension of rocks. And then when you look at that hill as a person, you know, thousands of years later, you're like, it's just a hill. Yeah, it looks like like (laughs) it doesn't look like any fortress I've ever seen. Why go over there? Yeah. Why would I walk over there? (laughs) Right. So that's the best I can do (laughs) at describing it's perfect it's exactly what it looks like uh please head on over to our social media stuffs to look at at this incredible photo and yes. all the photos that we're going to talk about yes uh let's zoom in a bit uh and take a look at one of the homes uh this is the side of one wall yeah uh, so please tell us what designs you see and like just describe the precision or whatever so <laughs> I, I, I will. I mean, okay. I'll do a bad job. Oh, well, you know, this is quite different than the other picture. Okay. Yeah. When you get up close, it's incredible. So when you get up close, like Jill said, it is incredible. It's It's got, oh, it's just really cool. It's got like a little kind of a garden full of um, cactuses, succulents, types of things. But the actual structure is very what I would describe as modern almost. It's a lot of angles. It's like a big kind of rectangular um, 
building and then it's got these really cool like I want to call them like art deco designs but clearly this is way before that (laughs) but it's got these cool like zigzaggy designs along the sides it's very beautifully made it's made of stone um it's freaking gorgeous I want to go yeah if this was a spa I'd, I'd go totally go I mean uh, you can even see that it's kind of elevated off the floor, too. There's like these homes are on a base. Yeah. It's just gorgeous and just smart. forward thinking, very smart. Very, it's just so incredible. Very before, you know, ahead of the times. Just incredible stuff, incredible work. Uh, now, my friends, it was within these homes, Heather A. Lapman, a, uh, an archaeologist at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and Gary Feynman, an archaeologist from the Field Museum in Chicago, uh, they found 400 bones, oh my god, eggshells, and a bunch of whole eggs either scattered about or deliberately arranged. Uh, a DNA test was performed, and wouldn't you know it, that test came back 100% that bitch turkey. Yeah! That's right. Love some turkey. <laughs> The surprises don't end there. First, the remains date back about 1,500 years. Oh, my God. And second, the findings, whose details we'll get into, it's the earliest proof of turkey domestication. Really? Yeah. So, oh, they're so cool. <laughs> Dr. Marissa, please tell us, according to the New York Times, why did the Zapote- Zapotec use this bird? I would love to tell you. Uh, quote, the Zapotecs were known to offer blood sacrifices sometimes during important events, such as burials, marriages, and births for healing and agricultural rituals. Before constructing a new home, they would sometimes sacrifice a turkey hatchling, eat it, and then bury its remains beneath the floors or within the walls. End quote. There you go. A turkey hatchling. A little baby turkey. Oh, and then they would eat it. There you go. Very. <laughs> oh. That's so, cool. It's true. <laughs> For example, uh, underneath the foundation of one home, five whole eggs and about seven turkey chick skeletons were uncovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other homes, however, juvenile bones were clumped together in piles, suggesting they were probably once a delicious Oaxacan meal and then discarded. In other spots, actually making up about a quarter of the bones found, were tools and jewelry made of stronger tur- turkey bones. Amazing. And the most important find linking this all together was the medullary bone, uh, which only forms in female birds before and during the egg-laying egg laying cycle. Oh. This discovery probably means those eggs weren't stolen from wild nests, nor were the chicks, and those older birds probably weren't hunted. All signs point to this super important bird being bred and raised within the fortress. <gasps> I love this. This yeah. is so interesting. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it could also mean the turkeys millions of Americans are carving into tomorrow are most likely descendants of this flock from a little town in Mexico. Oh, my I God. Know. I love it. I know. So not if, but when your racist uncle starts talking about American traditions, you can tell him you can thank Mexico. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There you go. Um, I am obsessed with that. I'm obsessed with they bred turkeys and yeah. use them so beautifully. I know. I'm like, my mouth is, I, I don't have anything like funny to contribute. <laughs> I just really like it. And I think it's beautiful. It is really oh beautiful. God. They added these beautiful homes. Seriously, get on Instagram and look at these homes. Yeah. 
gorgeous. They're so gorgeous. You're going to be like, I want to move there. That's so cool. <laughs> so, uh, but don't move anywhere. Everyone's just don't move. Don't don't move. <laughs> don't, don't go into stop, anyone's stop, home. Stop, dude. Stop taking everyone's stuff. <laughs> Uh, so thank you for listening, subscribing, rating, telling your friends where turkeys were domesticated. Thank you so much. Talk about their poop. Talk about their snoods. <laughs> Talk, send us snoods. Yes. Jesus. And please stay interesting. Please do.